This is Exposing Washington with Walker Wildman, bringing clarity to Washington, D.C. news. We see corruption at every level in Washington, and it's in both parties. Exposing the deception plaguing our nation's capital. Not only what he told every Republican senator, but what he told the press over and over and over again was a simple lie. And helping Christians stay informed about government. Now, of course, this puts a bigger burden on voters to go figure out what's actually going on. Be sure to visit AFR.net or wherever you get your podcast to hear past episodes. This is Exposing Washington with Walker Wildman on American Family Radio. Welcome to Exposing Washington on the American Family Radio Network. My name is Walker Wildman, and I'm your host here each week on the show. Go to our website, AFR.net, AFR.net, and check out our website. There are a lot of great content. You can not only listen to this show at AFR.net, but you can listen to all the, the majority of programming that you hear each weekday here on American Family Radio. You can find those podcasts or those audio files at our website, AFR.net. Very user-friendly there. You can also download the American Family Radio app and listen, uh, listen live and listen to past shows there on the American Family Radio app. So various ways to keep up with the show here, Exposing Washington, and various ways to keep up with the radio network. We have our spring share coming up here in a few weeks, just two weeks out from our spring share and we were going to have it in uh, April, but we pushed that back a little bit in light of the current situation we're going through here in the U.S. and across the world, to be honest with you. But you can uh, go to, uh, uh, here in a couple of weeks, you'll be able to catch the uh, spring share here on American Family Radio, May 19th through 21st. And you can um, find out more as we get a little bit closer. You can go to our website when we get a little bit closer, and you'll be able to donate there. Also, you'll be able to call in and donate. Lastly, the um, the theme for our Sherathon is Bring an Awakening. That's a, a scripture uh, about bringing an awakening uh, to God's people. So. The theme for our Spring Sherathon is Bring an Awakening. More details to follow on that in the coming weeks. One more uh, item before we jump into the content for today. One more item I wanted to mention is a new documentary that the American Family Association has been working on in the, the last, really the last two years. We've been working on this, and the name of the documentary is called In His Image, and the subline is Delighting in God's Plan for Human Sexuality. The name of the documentary is In His Image, and it's really going to tackle, it's really going to tackle um, a lot of the topics that have to do with human sexuality, whether it be transgenderism, homosexuality, adultery, all these different struggles, these sin struggles that we have here on earth, this documentary is going to tackle though, uh, that whole topic around human sexuality, and it's going to do it in a very biblical 
and compassionate manner. Very, very much looking forward to that docu- documentary going to be released in uh, in the coming months before the end of the year. In his image is the name of the documentary, and we'll release uh, more information about that as we get a little bit closer to the release date. And I'll do my best to post a link to the website on my podcast page at AFR.net. Several different things we're going to talk about on the show today. We'll talk about the Michael Flynn uh, case being dropped this past week. Very good news for Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, former White House National Security Advisor, who was taken out by the Obama officials who were going after President Trump, and they took out Michael Flynn along the way, a very corrupt and unfair way, uh, a very corrupt and unfair investigation. And justice has finally been served. I want to play, I want to play clip one here. This is a former Department of Justice official, uh, former Whitewater uh, special counsel investigator, Robert Ray, on his view of the Michael Flynn case being dropped by the Department of Justice. I'm proud of the Department of Justice today, and contrary to what former Director Comey said, that, uh, uh, you know, he's, he, he doesn't see it the, the same way. I, I think that Jim Comey, frankly, uh, has not only lost his way, he's lost his mind. Um, if if this hadn't happened, I, I'm pretty confident that the judge would have allowed Michael Flynn to withdraw his plea, which would have put the ball squarely back into the Department of Justice's court. But they um, stepped forward and, and did the right thing with regard to a case. I, I agree with Ambassador uh, Nikki Haley at any level, this is profoundly disturbing what happened to Michael Flynn. Well, there you have it. That was uh, former DOJ official Robert Ray on his opinion of the Department of Justice dropping the Michael Flynn case. And look, this uh, case into Michael Flynn had uh, had no underlying evidence of a crime to investigate Michael Flynn. It was purely a witch hunt. It was corrupt, and there's no other way to describe it other than the way I just described it there. And this this entire, the, the problem here, and by the way, this is good news, and if I'm not being clear enough, what happened this week is the Department of Justice under William Barr, the Attorney General, they dismissed. They put in a and a. Uh, pa- they put in the. They submitted the paperwork to the court to dismiss or drop the charges into or against Michael Flynn, the former Trump advisor, which means the case is essentially over, and Michael Flynn is exonerated. That's what the Department of Justice did this week, which is good news on the front when we're, when we're talking about this corruption of the Obama administration. But to prove that there was no underlying evidence of a crime, I would like to quote James Clapper. Former Director of National Intelligence, corrupt Obama-like James Clapper, 
He admitted in 2017 behind closed doors talking to the House Intelligence Committee. Here's what James Clapper told the House Intelligence Committee July 17, 2017. Quote, I never saw any direct empirical evidence that the Trump campaign or someone in it was plotting or conspiring with the Russians to meddle with the election. That is the essence of an uncalled for, unwanted, unpredicated, if that's a word, lacking evidence. This is the definition of having no evidence, but yet moving forward with an investigation. And so James Clapper, a key player in this entire corruption under the Obama administration, James Clapper admitting three years ago that they had no evidence from day one in 2015 when they started this corrupt investigation, they had no evidence of collusion. But yet they continued it for years to come. And this begs the question, and somebody else has brought this up before, many others, including Dan Bongino, who often appears on Sean Hannity's show, but others have brought this up, this question, and that is, did Robert Mueller, did Bob Mueller, the special counsel, did he know from day one of his special counsel that there was no underlying evidence of collusion? This stuff is not just bad, it's illegal. We cannot, in a democracy, in a country of law and order, have these rogue law enforcement agencies launching investigations with no identifiable crime. There has to be a crime to identify before you go launching investigations. You can't even, you're not even supposed to say, well, I think there was a crime, so let's launch an investigation. You should have some kind of evidence, even if it's not much, to launch an investigation. But here we have James Clapper, key Obama administration official. There was no evidence, and there never was any evidence of collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia. How corrupt someone should go to jail. Changing topics, talking about the coronavirus. I want to cover a few different news stories surrounding this. A study came out this past week out of New York State. This study was conducted over the course of three days. It involved... 1,300 patients, 1,300 patients in New York State in various hospitals. And the study found that 66% of those hospitalized over this three-day period 
66% of them had, had been spending the vast majority of, the, of their time at home, meaning they were sheltering in place or staying at home, as the governor has directed. So two-thirds of those interviewed had been staying at home, and they were yet still infected. Which is very bizarre because we've we've been getting the the messaging that if we stay at home we're we're safe. If we stay at home, shelter in place, we're safe. But that may not be the case. So the reason I bring this up is not really to draw any hard line conclusions because I don't really know what exactly this means, you know, what what we should look in what we should get out of this, I guess you could say. But uh, the the it should bring into question at least for a discussion, whether it is actually good to stay at home all the time. And I don't know the hard line answer to that. I would like to say I do, but I really don't. But 66% of of hospitalizations over this three-day period in New York State, 66% of them were staying at home, and they yet still became infected with the coronavirus. So, should we stay at home indefinitely? I don't know. That's a good question. I tend to lean on not, (laughs) just because I think we should get this economy back rolling, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. But very interesting study there out of New York State. And we will post this this study on the Exposing Washington podcast page at AFR.net. A couple other news stories. a couple other headlines when we're talking about this coronavirus is the uh, mortality rate or, or, or the death count, whichever, whichever one you want to call it by. There's the same thing, the mortality rate or the death rate or the uh, death count. This is clip three, and this was actually from weeks ago. This is from a long time ago. In the, in the, in the, in the, when you're talking about news, this is from a long time ago couple weeks ago, but this is Dr. Deborah Burks, also an ambassador, but she is the basically heading up the coronavirus task force underneath the vice president, Mike Pence. And Deborah Burks here, Dr. Burks in this clip, clip three is talking about how the CDC is instructing states to count coronavirus deaths. Let's listen to clip three. There are other countries that if you had a pre-existing condition and let's say the virus called you to go to the ICU and then have a heart or kidney problem. Some countries are recording that as a heart issue or a kidney issue and not a COVID-19 death. Um, Right now, we're still recording it. And we'll, I mean, the great thing about having forms that come in and a form that has the ability to market as COVID-19 infection, the intent is right now that those, if someone dies with COVID-19, we are counting that. Well, there you have it. That is Dr. Deborah Burks and what I want you to pay attention to there. And, and, and I've, I've known of this clip. This is not breaking news. This has been around for weeks now, if not months. Uh, Dr. Burks there says, basically, if a patient has coronavirus and they pass away with the coronavirus, they are being marked 
on their death certificate and on the paperwork as a COVID-19 death. And, you know, I don't know how we've done this in the past. I don't know what the golden standard is in the medical industry because I'm not a doctor. But to me, it just seems odd that you would you wouldn't even do any further homework on a patient on someone who's passed away that you wouldn't do any more homework any more study into the cause of death and instead the uh, coroners and the doctors are marking anyone and everyone who dies with the coronavirus as a covid death even though they might have died from other causes such as even like a heart attack or pneumonia or any other kind of uh, complication that we're automatically marking it as a COVID death. And the question that I would just ask there, and I really genuinely don't know the answer to this, and maybe we'll find it out, is do we do this with other uh, illnesses? Do we mark, uh, for example, if someone has a uh, upper respiratory illness, such as the coronavirus or the flu, but they have a heart attack in the middle of the street, are we just marking those as upper respiratory illness or upper respiratory caused death? Are we marking it as a heart attack? And I don't really know the answer to that, but, you know, this is when people are, are say that they're a little concerned about the, the death count. This is what they're talking about. People are already suspicious about this disease, this virus, because it came out of China. There's a lot we don't know about it. And some of the some of the medical experts have just been flat out wrong about this thing. They way overestimated the number of deaths we were going to have. They were saying we we're going to have millions of people die in America. They were way off, way, way off. And so our government doesn't need to do anything that would lead us to be suspicious of how many people have died from this, yet they're doing just that. They're providing Reasons, valid reasons to be concerned about the death count, such as uh, such as Dr. Burks there saying anyone and everyone with COVID-19 is being marked as a COVID-19 death, even though that may have not been the cause of death, may have not been the cause of death. So something to think about there, and maybe I'll do a little bit of homework on how doctors label other type deaths and how coroners actually get to a cause of death. That would be interesting to know to see if we're being consistent here, if we're doing apples to apples, or if we're inflating, if we're intentionally inflating the COVID-19 death numbers. So we'll bring that back next week and we'll discuss that. A couple other topics out of Washington, D.C. The Senate is back in session approving various things in the Senate, but the House of Representatives is still out of session. And President Trump put
put forth an offer that I thought was a very reasonable offer. And President Trump offered the U.S. House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate. He offered them one of those, one of the Abbott 15-minute coronavirus tests. It's the, it's, Abbott's the company, they manufacture these, but it's a 15-minute coronavirus test. This is what the White House is using. This is what various other agencies are using. This is what various hospitals and medical clinics are using. And President Trump offered this 15-minute test kit up to Capitol Hill so that lawmakers could come back to Washington, D.C., and that the, the staffers along with the lawmakers could be tested every day or once a week as they go into the Capitol just to make sure that everyone is staying well and to protect our lawmakers. And oddly enough, Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, they joined together and wrote a letter to the White House telling President Trump that they do not want the Abbott 15-minute test. And they blamed it on, well, we just think that there's people more important than us that need this Abbott 15-minute test. Even though I'm not buying that excuse one bit. And the reason I'm not buying that excuse is because they have manufactured, Abbott has manufactured thousands of these machines. Meaning that in the grand scheme of things, there is not a shortage of these Abbott, Abbott machines. I think the real reason is that Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell don't want both houses of Congress or both chambers to have to come back to Washington, D.C. and actually do the people's work. Instead, they want to continue their three-month-long vacation. It makes absolutely no sense that our own Congress would not take advantage of this Abbott 15-minute test to safely get our lawmakers back to work to continue doing the people's business. It makes absolutely no sense. Another topic I want to address, and I actually touched on this several weeks ago, but it's the idea of remote legislating or remote lawmaking where Congress would have the capability to have sessions and have committee hearings while not in Washington, D.C. And I know some of you might be a little skeptical of that, about our lawmakers doing things remotely without having to be in Washington, D.C., and I get that. You know, if we did this, it would need to be done very well and very securely with accountability measures in place. But there is no reason that in the year 2020, our Congress doesn't have a way to work remotely or a way 
to pass legislation and laws remotely. And the reason I think this is concerning is it really exposes a major national security flaw or hole in our entire system. Because in the event that we have a national emergency, similar to what we're having now with the coronavirus, or maybe we go to war with China or Iran or another enemy, and Washington, D.C. is evacuated, or uh, the, the, the Congress needs to have a way to get things done to legislate while not in Washington, D.C. This has to be done, and there is, there has to be a secure way with accountability measures in place to do this and do it effectively. And maybe we don't do it all the time. Maybe we just do it in, in, in cases of a national emergency. But the option needs to be there. And if the option was there, then Congress could be utilizing this tool right now. And while back in their home districts, which is actually a good thing, believe it or not, when lawmakers go back to their home districts, it is actually a good thing because they're on the ground, in the community, hearing from citizens, having town halls, having concerned voters stop by their offices and raise concerns. Being out of the swamp is actually a good thing. No fancy dinners, no lobbyists following you down the hallway. Being out of the swamp, out of Washington, Washington D.C., can actually be a good thing. The last topic I want to bring up today is I'm going to play clip two. This is Brian Williams, MSNBC, talking about how President Trump just keeps blaming China for all of his problems. Let's play clip two. And that last bit right there is part of what's become the president's daily diversion to China, as he correctly was lamenting the damage piling up in this country. And a reminder, we're six months out from the presidential election. New Monmouth University poll from the, my home county in the great state of New Jersey shows more people would prefer that person nationally to be Joe Biden than Donald Trump, 50 to 41 percent. Well, there you have it, Brian Williams, saying that President Trump's daily diversion is to China. And I, to that, I would say, so what? At the end of the day, if it wasn't for China, we would not be in this mess. China let this virus get out of their lab in Wuhan, whether it be purposefully or accidentally, to be, that's to be determined, but this is all on China's shoulders. This is all China's fault. We had the greatest economy in world history. And here comes this China virus. If I were President Trump, I would be diverting it to China too every day, all day. Exposing Washington American Family Radio. We'll see you next week.
The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.